Welcome to the Neurosec podcast, where we unite people and organizations to support and advance neurodiverse people in cybersecurity and beyond. My name is Nathan Chung, and today my special guest is Stephanie Rannell. She's vice president at Torchlight Hire. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, thanks for having me. Great. One of the biggest obstacles for neurodiverse workers is the workplace itself. I, myself, have seen my share of hostile and toxic workplaces. In addition, the interview process, managers, career paths, and corporate culture at many organizations are not friendly to neurodiverse workers. First of all, let's start at the beginning with recruitment. Mm -hmm. Job descriptions often include language such as good team player or excellent communication skills. These tend to discourage neurodiverse people from applying. What would you recommend to clients to change job descriptions? Um, well, Nathan, that's a great question. And um, having been in staffing and recruiting for 15 years, I've looked at hundreds, if not thousands of job descriptions. Um, and I think one of the things to note about all of the things we're going to talk about for um, a neurodivergent candidate um, are going to be good for your general population. So whether we're talking about job descriptions, the interview process, the um, culture of your organization, the things that you do to make things more inclusive and to make things more clear and to make things more or to make your work environment um, just generally more equitable is going to be good for all of the candidates applying. It's going to be good for all of the candidates who are interviewing with your organization. So, um, but specifically to talk about job descriptions, um, I think one of the things that uh, every person that works on a job description, whether that's the hiring manager or the talent acquisition professional or the recruiter, um, is to look at the words that we use and the context that, and the meanings that they have and the context that they give for the actual job. So one of the things that we tend to do is we we get into patterns of writing the same sort of overused words or phrases, um, things like team player, multitasker, um, that may not be indicative of the actual work itself. Uh, and by that, I mean, you might have team player, but the work that you actually are doing is very individual. Or you might assume, um, if you are talking to a neurodivergent candidate, that they aren't good at being a team player, which is a, a false assumption that they're not social. So I think that um, using very um, clear language to talk about exactly what are the skills what is the past experience needed to perform that job? Um, and being very clear about uh, how that, you know, how that translates into that work is, is my best advice for clients that are creating job descriptions. Um, there are also companies, tools out there that can help you create better job descriptions. Um, I just learned of one. I'm, we're doing some of our own research um, here on how to uh, how to be write better job descriptions. There's one called Textio, which help which helps you look at language that you use. Um, it's AI based, and it basically helps you look at how to create um, you know a more inclusive job description. Great, that's incredible. Yeah, and you have a very good point because uh, even autism, like that's a spectrum. So there are people 
who are high functioning and low functioning. So it's it is across the board. So, so yeah, second, no, I I'll think you bring up a great, you know, that it's you're absolutely right. Whether you're autistic, whether you have ADHD, whether you have dyslexia or dyspraxia, um, whatever, all of our brains are different, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole absolutely. the whole crux of understanding neurodiversity is um, neither one comes with good or bad brains, whether my neurotypical brain um, has things that it's good at and things that it's not so good at. Um, it has, we, I have developed skills that, um, that I am proficient in and ones that I know that are always going to be a struggle for me. So I think continuing to, to, to push forward the narrative and the idea that everyone is going to need accommodations in different ways. Um, you know, I, I don't, want to digress too much, but I do want to say, you know, I think about it a lot because I work in the space of marketing, communications, and creative recruiting. Um, and so I think about the fact that we individualize so much, right? The shopping experience. Um, I get very specific messages in my Facebook feed and in my email based on my shopping preferences, why we don't apply that individualization to work where we spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week into the hiring process. Um, it kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit. Yes, I totally agree. Second, the traditional interview process is a social dance where neurodiverse job candidates often struggle. A person with ADHD, for example, will often find it difficult to maintain eye contact, concentration, or pay attention to questions. A person with autism, on the other hand, may suffer sensory overload or find it difficult to communicate. How would you change the interview process? That's also, I mean, um, the interview process is something that, you know, people and companies will spend all their, you know, all their work lives trying to um, develop the right types of questions and the right types of processes. Um, I go back to what will be good for uh, an autistic candidate or a candidate that uh, is ADHD is going to be good for your overall population. So consider revising that process all around. Think about what you can do as a hiring manager or someone in recruiting HR or talent acquisition um, that starts with that, that, that kind of gives an agenda um, for that candidate so that they have some time to prepare. The better prepared a candidate is, the better that interview conversation is going to go. And that is especially true for those that um, are, are more comfortable and really look to routines to bring down things like anxiety. Um, so provide an agenda in advance. Consider how many people really need to be part of the interview process. Um, oftentimes I see clients will put like seven or 10 people in an interview process and it's unnecessary. You don't mm -hmm. need to get buy-in from every single person in the team or the company or every single stakeholder does not need to have buy-in to hiring that person. Um, so be aware of how many people you're actually involving in your interview process. Um, an interview process doesn't have to be a, a you know, a democratic, we're all going to vote. There can be a, a final decision maker. And frankly, there should be, or your interview process often ends up um, lagging on too long. Um, and along with the agenda, provide images or links to the LinkedIn profiles of the interviewers so that your candidates can um, 
can know what that person looks like and, and has an image of them in their mind um, before they go in to meet them. Give a layout of the campus or the building or the parking lot. I mean, all these things are providing sort of a nice concierge level of of support and service to any candidate. These are nothing that a, a, a neurotypical candidate would not benefit from. Um, ask. I think so many times we forget to ask if there are any accommodations that could be needed upfront to all candidates. Is there any accommodation? So you're not singling out um, an autistic candidate or a candidate with ADHD. You're asking all candidates, is there any accommodation? Um, you know, as I've come to learn about um, about autism and, and ADHD, I, I, I've come to see that um, you know you've got to you've got to kind of take it upon yourself to ask those questions and provide those accommodations up front. Build in breaks to the schedule. So many times I see an interview day that has seven or eight. <laughs> you know, interview, you know, meetings happening with different people and very little time for food, for oh, breaks, nice. for time to go to the restroom. Um, all of that, again, like there needs to be reset and recharging that happens to have each subsequent conversation um, be able to be a fruitful one. Um, the other idea is also as, as part of the interview process is to offer some independent or project-based parts of the interview so that not all of the interview is verbal communications. So I myself am highly verbal. It, it's, you know, when I take all those DISC assessments and things, I come out like super high on extroversion and verbal. Now, if you gave me a puzzle to do, I would not do well at it. And so hopefully puzzles, you know, uh, are not part of my job. But um, but if you have a position that doesn't necessarily require a ton of verbal communications, why are you going to make your interview centered on verbal communications? People can often, and especially those with autism or ADHD, they can often show what they can do a lot better than telling what they can do. So in that way, as part of the interview process, or sometimes in replacement, have a shadow day, have a day where they come in and they actually can do the work and you can assess their skills based on that. Now, I will also put a caveat that asking anybody to come in and do free work, I, I highly discourage that. Hmm. Um, I think it's disrespectful, frankly, um, for any candidate for a company to ask them to do free presentations and decks. And, you know, you could do a presentation and a deck, of course, but if you're asking them to redevelop your marketing strategy for 2021, you're asking for free work. So, mm. you know, be careful. And, and you know, HR teams, especially in larger organizations, um, they know the, that line, right? That, but let me see what you can, what you can do from a show standpoint, versus I'm asking for free work. Yeah, um, that's a very good point. And mm-hmm. I, I think the other thing you you were stressing upon is like the, the number of people in in the interview itself. Cause I can imagine for not just people who are neurodiverse, but sometimes for women, like if they go into an interview and and the panel is is all men, it can be very <laughs> in- intimidating for women. Yeah. I I mean, I think for any candidate, frankly, and it's funny in a panel interview, I know people like panel interviews. 
Um, and I've, I myself have been part of panel interviews, but what's interesting about them is you end up having people, <laughs> the interviewers fall into roles, typical mm. roles, which is something good to know in advance. You're going to have the person that's, that is like your champion in that interview. Typically, this is someone you've had interaction with, could be the recruiter, could be the hiring manager themselves. Then you're going to have somebody that is like the naysayer. They're the one that like wants to catch you in with some sort of like out of the ballpark, weird question, right? So you have like the naysayer. Then you have the person that's in the interview and you wonder why they're there because they never ask a question or the question they ask is like a repeat to someone else's question. And then you often have like your softball question person. This may be the person that's your champion. They want to get, they want you to succeed. So if you know that people naturally kind of move into these, kind of are in these roles when you have a group panel interview, you can really play to the people that are your, <laughs> you know, you can know that they're not all out to get you, right? That you are going to have people in that interview that um, you know, that are your champions. You know, I, I kind of in overall have a problem with an interview process that is like, let's try and let's try and catch this person. Let's try and make this a game of and, and try and find all the reasons we don't want to hire you. I think that's the wrong way for an interviewer to go into. I think most interviewers, just to let your audience know, they're not out to get you. Like they, most people do want you, they want to like, they want you to succeed in the conversation, um, but the way we've sort of we've we've um, created this this aura around interviews can often feel adversarial, and that's that's mm -hmm. unfortunate. Yep, I totally agree because it's, it's, there's just so many candidates out there, and right now the typical interview process just seems more like a, a kind of like a elimination game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So I think, you know, as you're preparing, if you get, you know, to that interview panel, and sometimes you don't have a panel in the world that we're in now and in, in, in the pandemic, pandemic interviewing, much of what you're going to be doing is actually quite advantageous for someone that's neurodivergent, um, because you can control your environment, you can jump onto that video interview, you can get on there early and prepare. Um, you can not have to look someone directly in the eyes, right? You can, um, you can, and that might make you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I think that there are some real benefits for, and hopefully things that we take post pandemic into, um, you know, it, it keep in the hiring process, which include things like virtual interviews and, and work from home hiring. Yep, that's a very good point. And uh, so the third obstacle, which I talked about in my, in my first security talk uh, yesterday, is the traditional career path. Because even it, within cybersecurity and tech and outside, the typical career path often leads to manager and then executive roles. To get there usually requires a lot of social skills resulting in neurodiverse workers being stuck and failing to advance. Many organizations cannot or will not change them, saying, setting things like, this is how things have always been done, or if it ain't broke, why fix it, or even change is bad. How, how would you convince a, a client or organization to change their career path to, to 
better suit neurodiverse workers? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think career pathing for, there's a couple of things that come up for those that are neurodivergent. So at, if you are looking at multiple opportunities as a candidate, I would look for those that are led by more progressive uh, leadership, whether that's HR leadership and sort of business leadership, because there should be pathways for advancement. And I'm, but when I say advancement, I mean raises. I mean advancing in your ability to make more money that aren't tied to managing people and that aren't tied to navigating company politics. Now, you, you gather two or three people together, you're going to have some sort of politics regardless of size of company. So let me answer that one first before I, I go to the, to the raises and advancement that's not tied to management. If you're trying to navigate company politics, my best advice is to look for sponsorship opportunities with leaders in the organization that can be your internal advocates. Mm -hmm. So this is right for any candidate, but especially those that are neurodivergent is get some, it could be an outside career coach or even better, it's someone within the organization who sees your value and can help advocate for you and like help you politically maneuver within the organization. And again, that political maneuvering could be, I think again, there's a, there's a misperception that if you are autistic, you can't manage people. I think that's wrong. I think it's dead wrong. I think it's as stereotypical as saying women can't lead an organization. I think there are challenges and maybe there are ways that, that the organization or the team's need to listen differently to leaders who communicate differently. But I don't think that, you know, having these assumptions and making these assumptions about people who have different brains is right to sort of track them into, well, they're going to do QA and they're going to do IT. And, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't ever have an autistic person in a customer service role or in a sales role or in a marketing role. Um, I just think that's wrong. So, I think having those mentorship opportunities um, and mentorship is a little more top down. I, I kind of like the idea of sponsorship, you know, um, because frankly, that neurodivergent candidate is going to give a lot of guide, you know, is going to give some real knowledge to that mentor, <laughs> to that mm -hmm, sponsor. Yes. So there's going to be that give and take. It's not just going to be, um, I'm helping you. I'm so great as your mentor and I'm helping you. Um, there's going to be a give and take back and forth. Um, so that's one thing. On the other side of advancement, uh, I really encourage people that if they've been in roles for, and, and sameness can be really, like, can, can be really important, especially to autistic people, like having that routine, having that sameness. So you may have, you may be and be completely happy in doing that same work um, for maybe different projects or doing sort of this, you know, get having these um, this work that you complete that you're really proud of with little error, right? Um, but what you need is you need to be able to still advance in your in your monetary salary that's coming home or in your bonuses. So what I encourage is that every cup every year, but certainly every couple of years. 
Um, you look at, are there any salary adjustments that you need to make you more competitive with the outside market? So people always think of raises, right? I did a good job. I get a raise. I get my 3% cost of living raise. What I'm saying is if you've been in a job for five years and you have not seen a marked increase, likely the market and has, has, if you were to go outside and get a new job, you would have a 10 or 20% increase. So what I'm saying is going to your boss, going to HR and talking about a salary adjustment. Is there a band you can create? Is there a level two, a level three, a level four that doesn't tie to management, but ties strictly to how the market has progressed? And if you went outside or if they hired someone from the outside as a business analyst to come into the organization, they'd be paying that person 10 or 20% higher than what you are currently making. So that's one of my kind of, I don't know, it's an insider trick or tip or something, but you can do that. You have power, use your voice, you know? Yeah, those those are good, very good points, which to be honest, I've been, I, this is the first time I, I hear the, about those kind of tips. So those, that knowledge is very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, salary adjustment. You're not asking yeah. for a raise or more responsibility. You're not asking to manage any people. You're asking for your salary to be adjusted to market rate. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, in my experience, managers often follow traditional and outdated methods that lead them to view neurodiverse conditions as a big negative because yes. they, they, they see things kind of like a factory. People have to keep producing. Mm. So the logical and natural course of action managers often take is to eliminate neurodiverse workers in the workforce. This thinking is often ingrained into corporate culture, especially in larger and or older or organizations. How would you change corporate culture at clients and organizations? I think you've identified something that is, uh, I don't want to say an elephant in the room, but it is, uh, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. So let me play it out like this. You want to hire a, um, you want to create a more diverse team. So your team is pretty homogenous. You want to create a more diverse team, whether that diversity is coming from neurodiversity or whether it's coming from, you know, ethnic diversity or, um, or gender diversity, right? You want to create, so you, you intentionally create a pipeline, you hire a candidate in, but you do nothing or very little to adjust the actual team dynamics, to listen differently to those team members, to um, collaborate differently as a team, right? So oftentimes that team, the most verbal, the most extroverted people, they're, they're heard first. Their ideas are brought forward first. Um, so you don't change anything about the dynamic of the team. What happens? That different person doesn't fit. And so they either, they're, they're seen as not as being outside. They're seen as not really being a team player. You know, they use those type of words and they're either fired or that person is just so out of place and uncomfortable because nothing's been adjusted. There's been no accommodation. There's been no adjustment that they leave. And so thus they say, well, see, those people really don't, those people, I hate that term, well, they, they just don't really work. 
And so there's this self-fulfilling prophecy. And then that person is going, gosh, I just, I know I just don't fit in anywhere. Right. Mm, yeah. It's a so tragedy. It's a tragedy. And it, to me, I think you identified it as antiquated, archaic, like industrial revolution. Everybody mm. needs to fit this kind of widgety cog productivity production line mentality. It's a command and control type of management style. That is all, um, it's kind of passe. And I think, I think those companies that say, you know what, maybe we need to, I mean, my biggest thing is like, we need to listen differently. We need to create different pathways to show knowledge, to show ideas. So why does everything have to have a PowerPoint deck and presentation? Why couldn't you do it differently? Why couldn't you have like um, submissions happen uh, in written communications? Or maybe there's a show and show day, right? Like there's so many other ways that we can elucid, you know, um, elicit ideas from our team and create collaborative environments that are more inclusive. But because we've always done it one way, we get we get really stuck. And you know what happens is those companies, they end up, I think, getting beat in innovation, getting mm. beat in productivity, getting beat in employee engagement. Because I think one of your last questions is around business case. And all of those things, you know, Harvard Business Review, McKinsey reports, I don't, I could give you, I could, we could spend two seconds Googling. Yep. You know, you have a, a good point because- one big question that company execs and leaders will have, especially for you, is what what is the business case for hiring, right. retaining, and advancing neurodiverse workers? Because at the end of the day, they want to hear things like ROI and how, how does this benefit the company? Yeah, I mean, I, it is just that. You're, take two seconds and Google diversity, diverse workforce, profit margins, revenue, productivity, innovation. They are all, they all increase if you create a more diverse workforce. So you are more productive. You are more innovative. I mean, think about it. It just makes like logical sense to me that if you have different brains and different backgrounds, thinking about your products and services from a different angle, you're going to create some innovation, right? You're going to create products that are more reflective of your overall customer base. You're going to create products that are more reflective of your overall employee base. You're going to be more competitive for overall talent, you know, and you're going to create a company engagement. I, there's um, a Gallup poll every year. It's been happening for like 25 years and it's on engagement, employee engagement. And the sad fact is it is not, it's, there's been 70% disengagement of employees from their employers for 25 years. Well, guys, like, why do we keep <laughs> what we're doing clearly is not moving the needle to mm -hmm. a more engaged culture. So we, 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 in our companies, so an employee engagement leads to right productivity, innovation, uh, you know, customer satisfaction. So, you know, I, I think it, I think that we just need to keep beating the drum consistently mm. every day to say your assumptions are wrong about neurodivergent candidates 
and what they can do. Um, your processes should and can be refined to benefit all, to benefit all candidates. Mm, I totally agree. I, I, I mean, I'll say this too. Many, many times there's like not great numbers when it comes to new candidate hires, whether you're neurodivergent or not. Um, there's huge turnover because job descriptions and hiring processes don't align with what you really need. Um, so I think, I think there, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of get a little discouraged. I know I have been when I've, when I've gone to summits and attended conference online or in-person conferences on neurodiversity in the workforce or autism at work programs, I kind of look at, I look at the pilot programs and I go, oh, these are like the biggest companies in the world. Mm. And they're just a drop in the bucket, right? It's mm, just like, yes. you know, 80 employees and we're all like, yay. And I'm going, yeah, but it's 80% unemployment or unemployment mm. numbers. Guys, like, sad. yeah, but we can get down, we can get down or we can say like, you created a podcast. We found each other on LinkedIn. Much of what I share on LinkedIn, particularly around neurodiversity gets eyeballs on it. People ask me, it's not even what I do. I do recruitment in marketing, but they'll ask me like, what is all this that you're sharing and writing about? Or, or I can weave it into like every conversation that I have with, with a hiring manager or with a head of a team. Mm. So I think we, there is so much, we're at the precipice it's we're early. I think 30 years from now, we'll look back and go like, wow, 2020. <laughs> well, we'll do that anyway. For yeah. sure. I totally agree. And the uh, yeah. last question is the biggest one of all is on, on a personal note, why, why neurodiversity? And do you have any personal stories to share? Yeah. So I sent you a little picture. Um, I have three children. Um, my oldest is 11 and he was uh, diagnosed at seven ADHD, and and there could be some other stuff going on. We're we're sort of in the process as we as we continue to support him. Um, my middle daughter, who is almost eight, she is autistic, and then I have a neurotypical five and a half year old, almost six year old son. So I've got and and then my husband is ADHD, so he's neurodivergent. So really in my family of five, I am the minority. My son and my, my, my youngest oh and myself my. are the minority in our neurodivergent family. Um, and I've been in recruiting, like I said, at the beginning for 15 years. So I, I've been, I love, love the world of hiring and staffing and, um, and helping and career, you know, just watching people's careers flourish and, um, to me, there could be nothing more important than all three of my kids working in a neurodiverse team and having opportunity to, to have meaningful work in their life. It's such an important part of being human is being able to have work that aligns with our talents and our gifts and be able to feel like useful in a way. Mm. Um and so I want that for them. And frankly, I have become a much better mother, a much better wife, a much better employee because of the autistic adults I've met um, and, that, and because of 
my kids. Like they have helped me to listen better, to be more empathetic, to be more humble, um, to be more creative in how I communicate and how I give and receive feedback and love and, and, you know, and every aspect of my life. So I know that there are millions of other families out there that, um, that love somebody that has a different brain. (laughs) So, (laughs) so yeah, I think it's like a mesh for me. It's been a mesh up of like my professional, my personal life in a way that I'd never imagined, but I'm, I am so blessed to be able to talk about it with people like you. (laughs) Thank you. This is, those are incredible stories and thank you for everything you do, Stephanie. It's super important to help people like that. And I love your stories. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> thank and, you. Yep, and yep, and that that's a wrap. And that's a wrap. Yeah, thank you. I I can't wait to listen to your other um your other podcast episodes. Like, thank you. Have All right. Day. Happy New Year, almost. Thanks. <laughs>